It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself in a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to quantum number 107. I've been battling about whether to discuss this subject or not, but uh, this quantum is going to be different. We are dealing solely with one subject, and it is, of course, the subject that is obsessing the world at the moment, and that is that of coronavirus or COVID-19. Now, most of us, you may be surprised, will be affected with a coronavirus at least once in our life. Um, most people have only heard of SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19. There are other coronaviruses as well. There, there are actually hundreds of coronaviruses, most of which infect animals such as bats, chickens, camels and cats. But sometimes they have this cross-species transmission. The first coronavirus was discovered in ch chickens in the 1930s. The first human ones in the 1960s. And coronaviruses are very common. They're found all over the world and they're responsible for about 10 to 15 percent of common colds, mostly during the winter. There are some that are serious, uh, particularly two, SARS and MERS. And they are they have a fatality rate that is very, very high, higher than COVID-19, but they don't infect as much. The problem is with COVID-19, it appears to be very contagious. People can have it and can pass it on without knowing they've got it. And that makes it much, much harder to deal with. And as a result, there are far more people who are going to die of or with COVID-19 than the others. Okay, where are we in the world? Listen to this. Tonight, those staggering numbers, 5 million confirmed coronavirus cases in the U.S., more than any country in the world. One death reported every 83 seconds in the past seven days. A new internal model from the president's own advisors predicting devastating days ahead, according to the Washington Post. The model warning the number of new infections will rise in the Midwest through the fall. Despite President Trump's The current situation, and this has only been going for a few months, there are over 5 million in the US, 3 million in Brazil, 2.5 million in India. There have been 750,000 deaths, 166,000 in America, 100,000 in Brazil. But here is the problem. How do you measure deaths? That, that sounds simple. You, people die and that's it. But what do they die of? That, that's the, the difficulty. Because different countries measure in different ways. So let's say, for example, I am seriously ill with cancer and then I get COVID, and then I die, and I die mainly because of my cancer. That's still put down as a COVID death in most countries. The vast majority of people who die are elderly, and that's a particular issue, often with other conditions. And again, that's a particular issue. So how do we measure? Are these people who are dying with COVID, or are they people who are dying from COVID? And to give you an example of how difficult this is, Public Health England has changed its definition of deaths. They had previously reported there were 42,072 deaths from COVID in England. They're now saying it's down by 5,000, 36,695. Why? Because 
what they were doing is they were saying anyone who's ever had COVID who then dies. So you could have had COVID in February or March, completely recovered, but then died in a car accident, you would still be put down as a COVID death. Now, that's obviously ridiculous. So they've looked at the figures again, and there's just been a big drop. Now, that makes a huge difference. So, for example, on the 11th of August, 100 deaths of people with COVID were reported. But under the new system, that would be 11, not 100. On the 12th of August, 72 were reported. Under the new system, that would be 15. That's a big difference. And incidentally, although we get it on the news, a friend of mine from Melbourne was talking about how he had somebody, a young woman he knew who died and paid tribute to her. And he said, she, she didn't die of COVID. If she died of COVID, she'd be headline news. But her death isn't men mentioned except, of course, amongst her own friends and family and in her church. But we are constantly getting these figures about deaths from COVID. So in Australia, it is horrible that almost 300 people have died from COVID, but 170,000 people a year die in Australia. That, that's fascinating for me. And what's even more fascinating, that currently in the UK, in the week ending 31st July, for example, influenza and pneumonia, 928 deaths. COVID-19, people with COVID-19, 193. And since the middle of June, more people have been dying of summer flu than have been dying of COVID. And that is significant. Okay, so for several months, starting Wuhan in China, we've had this coronavirus, a specific coronavirus called COVID-19, which uh, transmits very quickly and which for a significant proportion of people causes such serious illness that they die. That, that You can't escape that particular fact. How have countries been dealing with this? Well, one of the, the standard measures, and I think most countries have been doing this, is what we call lockdown. The UK has fallen into its largest recession on record because of the coronavirus lockdown, contracting by more than 20% between April and June in the biggest slump of any major global economy. The recession, defined by six months in a row of falling output, is the first since the 2008 financial crash. Here's our economics editor, Faisal Islam. A fall of over 20% isn't just a record, but it's off all historical scales. The last recession, the great financial crisis of 2008-09, saw a worst three-month fall of just over 2%. Go back the entire history of official calculations, and there's never been a fall bigger than 3%. I said that hard times were coming, and what today's numbers show is that hard times are here. Hundreds of thousands of people have already lost their job, and sadly, many more will. There was a study that found that the OECD, OECD, that's the economically developed countries, really, they've tended to implement lockdown measures based on what neighbor, neighboring countries were doing. So a neighboring country will, let's say, close down businesses, close down transport, um, close down schools, and your country begins to get COVID-19, people start piling into hospitals, people say, okay, 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 no, 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 we have to do something. The politicians think they have to do something and they have to be seen to be doing what their neighbors are doing. Some 80% of OECD countries implemented multiple measures within a two week period in March, whether or not 
uh, the scale of the pandemic in their own country or the preparedness of their own health systems. That is significant. And lockdown, you know, when we had those horrific scenes from Italy, when we see what's going on in the United States, lockdown seems to make a lot of sense. And in the United Kingdom, it was designed to prevent the health service being overwhelmed. Uh, currently in Australia, Victoria is in strict lockdown. New Zealand is probably the country that most people associate. And they say, oh, it's been successful. Yeah, well, be careful because New Zealand did go into a very strict lockdown. For 100 days, it's had no coronavirus cases of community transmission. And in this past week, they've now had seven is it really possible, if there's going to be no vaccine, is it really possible that if you lock down, you keep the coronavirus out, but for how long? Do you close your economy for that long? And how many people die from other things? That's a big question, to which there is not a simple answer. I think one of these things, one of the things I want to stress in this is we need to be really careful about condemning politicians and others for struggling with a situation that we all struggle with. There are countries who have been successful. At least it appears that they have been, like New Zealand, and then it comes back. But one such is Taiwan. On the island of Taiwan, the streets are bustling. Restaurants are open for diners. Schools only shut down for two weeks in February. And even the baseball season is in full swing. Though one team temporarily relied on mannequin spectators. With a population of nearly 24 million, Taiwan's had just seven deaths and with rapid contact tracing fewer than 500 infections. And that's despite lying around 80 miles from mainland China. Now, it's interesting. Taiwan didn't do a lockdown. They, they've got a very interesting history because they got rumour about a new disease coming from China and they did not trust the Chinese. So straight away... They quarantine people coming into their country. Taiwan is an interesting example of a country with a high-quality health service, good track and trace, and they've been able to do this. Another country is Sweden. Have a listen to this man. Uh, I think to, to a great extent it's been a success. I mean, we're now seeing rapidly falling cases. Uh, we have continuously had a healthcare that's been working, taking care of all the patients. There has been free beds at any given time, never any crowding in the hospitals. Uh, we've been able to keep schools open, which we think is extremely important, and society fairly open, but si still having social distancing in place in a way that means that the spread of the disease has been limited uh, to, to its speed. Uh, the failure has, of course, been the death toll. Uh, like we discussed in many other fora. Uh, that has been very much <coughs> related to the long-term care facilities in Sweden. Now, when the long-term care facilities has improved a number of different things, uh, we see a lot of less cases in the long-term care facilities. And actually, our mortality rates started falling much earlier on than our case numbers, indicating that we're actually seeing things that can be done to keep mortality down while still having a fair number of cases in the, in the population. Now, he's actually one of my heroes, and I have to, to say this. I, I find listening to Anders Tegnell and the Swedish thing absolutely fascinating. I don't know. I mean, I have read hundreds of articles, and I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. 
But I, I'm beginning to suspect that at the end of it all, Sweden will probably come out rather well out of this. It's interesting. I think for political reasons, there are people who who want to damn Sweden, who are just desperate, especially some of the American television stations, almost desperate to, t to call Sweden a disaster. But as Mr. Tegno was saying, and I suggest you listen to the whole of that interview, that doesn't appear to be the case. I've also got a link to another article from a doctor in one of the big hospitals in Stockholm. And um, he points out the situation. Sweden never went into complete lockdown. Non-essential businesses remained open. And then COVID hit Stockholm like a storm in mid-March. Um, and he said how he faced a lot of it. But now he says all the COVID patients have disappeared. I haven't seen a single COVID patient in over a month, he says. Um, at the peak, three months ago, 100 people were dying a day of COVID in Sweden, a country with a population of 10 million. This is now five per day in the whole country. It seems as though the risk of dying, he says, is at the very most one in 200 if you actually do get infected. As far as he's concerned, COVID is in effect over and done with in Sweden and they haven't trashed their economy. And that is important. Uh, Sweden's economy has taken a significant hit, 8% apparently, but that's nothing compared with say the UK at a decline, a phenomenal decline of 20%. This doctor argues many countries have shut down their entire economies, stopped children going to school, and made large portions of their population unemployed in order to deal with this disease. Is it worth it? Another issue, some people say, you know, there are things that you can do. Obvious things. Washing hands is crucial. My, my own habits have changed. I tend to go into a place, use the hand wash immediately. Face masks. That's an interesting one that the World Health Organization warned against using face masks. Then apparently, because of political reasons, warned that we should use them. It appears as though they do prevent you, if you have COVID, from transmitting it. It doesn't prevent you getting it. And if you're in an area of very low community transmission, perhaps it's not necessary. I, I certainly don't wear them here. And it appears as though a lot of politicians are asking people to wear them for psychological reasons. Although if, for example, I was working in a care home, member of staff, I, I would wear a face mask. Um, and I guess if I'm ordered to wear one, I will. But the scientific evidence for making the wearing of face masks mandatory is not very strong. Um, I put up an article from uh, Europe's top health officials saying masks aren't helpful in beating COVID. Okay, what about the effects of lockdown? Listen to this. Over the years, this engineering business has survived umpteen recessions, but it's never seen a downturn like this. So this is a turbine blade. This is very typical of the product we make. And if people aren't flying and airliners are on the ground, then no new planes are needed, no spares are needed. His orders collapsed and Andrew had to let 50 staff go, nearly half his workforce. These are good people. These are skilled people, the people who've worked for us in many instances for decades. I mean, how tough has that been? inordinately tough. I know my employees and they know me and then you have to say goodbye to half. That's tough. 
sometimes this argument is set up as though it's the, it's the economy versus health. And the nasty capitalists want to save the economy and the good social justice people want to save people's health. But the two are intermingled. There are times in life where being tough comes in handy. Say some geezer collapses in front of you. What do you do? First off, you call 999. Then, no kissing. You only kiss your missus on the lips. You push hard and fast here on the sovereign to stay alive. In the UK, during the lockdown, there's a near 50% decline in admissions for heart attacks. Is this because less people are having heart attacks? No. It's because people are not going to hospitals. For stroke, it's about way, way, way down. Um, there are seven registered COVID deaths in children representing a tiny risk. However, delays in seeking medical help probably contribute to the deaths of at least nine children. One third of the 241 emergency paediatricians said that they had witnessed delayed presentations. A recent government report suggests 200,000 people might die because of delays in healthcare and the economic and social consequences of the COVID-19 lockdown. So 50,000 from COVID, 200,000 from the lockdown seeking to prevent COVID. 26,000 people are waiting more than a year for routine operations and more than half a million people have been waiting over six weeks for essential tests. As someone I read said this, when it comes to COVID-19, the real threat is not the disease, it's how we react to the emerging information. Well, here's another country. Let's, let's go to Brazil. One-time bus driver Alexandre Trajano was one of Brazil's 12 million unemployed. That is, until the soaring death toll caused by the coronavirus pandemic landed him a job as a gravedigger at the São Gonçalo Cemetery on the outskirts of Rio de Janeiro. The most painful part is witnessing the farewell, which is different from any other. People want to say goodbye to their loved ones, but we can't allow them to get near. Brazil's COVID death toll keeps growing in part because the government is encouraging Brazilians not to stay home while failing to take measures to stop the virus from reaching even remote parts of the Amazon. Despite evidence to the contrary... Now again, it looks as though Brazil has handled this really badly. Although other South American countries have had phenomenal um, death, number of deaths as well, in Chile in particular and Peru. But again, I, I read something from someone in Brazil who... This is where you, your, your head goes round. You listen, as Proverbs says, you listen one case it seems right, you listen another case it seems right. So if you look at the large casualty count, Brazil's per capita death toll in a population of 207 plus million is lower than Belgium, France, Spain, Italy, the UK, Sweden and the United States. I suspect that Brazil could have had, handled this a lot better, as I suspect most countries could have. But it's never as simple as it gets portrayed in the media. And a lot of it does tend, people tend to make opinions according to their political views. Right, enough about that. What about a vaccine? Listen to one of my uh, favourite people from Australia. Um, another, I, I just like these guys who've got information, Dr. Norman Swan. It's no secret why Russia's named its vaccine after the Sputnik satellite. If it's as good as they say it is, it will mean they've beaten the world 
just as they did in the space race. But there are doubts about their supposed victory. Before vaccines are rolled out, they must go through three phases of trials. Phase one is basic safety testing, and in phase two, the doses are worked out. Phase three trials are the main hurdle. They test whether the vaccine actually works in the real world. The trouble with the Russian vaccine is that it doesn't seem to have gone through all three trials. We don't know what's happened. We don't know what the data have shown. It appears as though many people, including politicians, are basing their policy on let's just hold on, let's hold on, let's hold on, let's lock down until we get a vaccine. But we've been searching for a vaccine for coronavirus for decades and haven't found one. A vaccine for SARS, a vaccine for MERS. We haven't found them. There is no guarantee that we're going to have a vaccine. And Norman Swan there was speaking about Russia. Now, Russia's been the first country to put out a vaccine, but it seems extremely doubtful if they've done the proper testing for uh, at the third stage, as, as uh, Dr. Swan was explaining. There are more than 120 vaccines under trial, and I think at the last count there were 14 at stage three. So maybe we will get one. The WHO is warning, though, that it may not be effective for everyone. I don't know. I'm not putting my hope in a, in a vaccine. I had a colleague here who basically argued Dominic um, Steele has, has a wonderful podcast called The Pastor's Heart. Go look it up. And he basically argued that uh, we're going to have to learn to live with this. And I suspect he may be right. So let's come to the church. We're, we're nearing the end. There's so much more that could be said. And I, I'm not going to do another one on COVID. I think there's enough information in what I've given. I've tried to be as fair as possible. I, I, I don't know. But here's something from the church. You know, churches have been closed and been told to close. So listen to this. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to welcome you to the uh, Grace Community Church Peaceful Protest. That is Dr. John MacArthur from California. Now, he's been praised as a hero by some in the church and as an idiot by others often out with. What can we say? I think that that clip you heard is trite and trivial. I think turning a church service into a political rally, even as a joke, I, there's something I find deeply uncomfortable with that. I think if the state orders you not to, to meet, then for me, I would do that, even if I thought that it was wrong. And I do think, by the way, largely that it is wrong. But having said that, I'm just a bit depressed at the reaction of so many church leaders who seem to have the attitude, if the government says do this, let's us be stricter. And they seem to be more obsessed about, we don't want to be the church that's known as where people got COVID, than I think they are thinking about the whole bigger picture. I don't know. I mean, how can you generalize in that way? But I, I, I'm struggling to hear church leaders call for repentance. I hear church leaders copying political leaders by saying, we can deal with this, we can cope with this. What if we can't? What if this is God shaking us up? Not punishing us for particular sins, but just saying, okay, you, you want to live in a world without me? This is what happens. Why are we not on our knees crying out to the Lord because 
we can't do anything. I, I feel helpless. And when I feel helpless, I call out to God. We, we need to do that. So repentance and prayer and, of course, love and care. We're going to do that. But I, I don't know. Overall, I think there's a lack of leadership and a spinelessness. At least MacArthur's, maybe wrongly, trying to to provide some of that. But can we not have a kind of more balanced and wiser and saner leadership? Do we just always have to accept? I mean, there's a bizarre thing just come from, I think, in Northern Ireland and also in Scotland that bride and groom and a wedding have been ordered by the government to have masks on. The bride and groom, I mean, are they not going to... You want them to do social distancing on their wedding night as well? That's just madness. That schools can open, but Sunday schools can't. Well, I don't know. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High Will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge My God and my shield in whom I trust Okay, I'm going to leave you uh, Psalm 91, which I have used many times here. I think that there is no better song for this pandemic than Psalm 91. There is no better version than that of Sons of Korah from Melbourne here. Melbourne, which is in severe lockdown. Melbourne, which has seen a great increase of transmission. Melbourne, who we really feel for. And we want to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. For me, that's it. That's it. I got nowhere to go except to Jesus Christ. I don't trust the politicians. I don't trust the media. I respect them as I respect scientists, but I'm not guaranteed that there's going to be a vaccine or that there's not going to be a mutation or another version of it. But I'm not going to be afraid because I look to the one who I believe watches over and keeps us. So may he watch over and keep you. May he remove this particular plague from this earth. And I hope and pray that you have a great week. Please write in. I've got loads and loads of suggestions of of different subjects. Please let me know if you've got any comments on this. If you want to support Quantum, then go to the Podbean fundraiser. If you think this is helpful for anyone, please share it. But most of all, can can we treat people with grace and with kindness when they disagree with us? And can we... Can we admit we don't know that there's just lots of things we don't know and we are helpless and in our helplessness we cry to the Lord. God have mercy on us all. See you next week. A thousand may fall at your sight Ten thousand may fall at your right hand come near you, you will only see, you will only observe when judgment comes, for he commands his angels concerning you, to guard you wherever you may
that you won't strike your foot against a stone. Well, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, surely no great harm. Strike your foot against a stone.